Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. We are jumping into the new year with a new Middle Seats podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. Welcome back, folks. Welcome to 2021 and a brand new, I would say, probably season of the Middle Seats. It's been a while, but we're back and hopefully we're. I think better than ever is kind of getting expectations up, but about as average of what you would expect. So I think that's fair, right, guys? <laughs> that's perfectly right. The middle seats, average as you remember. Right. <laughs> Doing what we can. If you don't remember, my name is Andrew Auger. I'm your host. Let's meet my friends here. There's a lot of wonder in what Nate Lungarini has to say. If you've forgotten that, he's right here. Hi, Nate. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Good to be back with you. Uh, happy 2021. Thanks for welcoming us. Uh, it's very sweet. It's very on brand. Uh, and you hear this guy's opinion and you just go, whoa, man, Mr. Jake Hensler. Oh, some things we're not leaving in 2020. I see. Okay. <laughs> no, definitely not. Did you guys see what I tried to do there? I, I got it. I got it. The puns must continue. Okay. I'm just making sure because I wrote that and I like gagged as I wrote that. It was a, it was a dry <laughs> heave. Oh, good to know Andrew still makes himself laugh. I was going to say, set the bar low, and then obviously we can kind of transcend it, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Middle Seats Podcast is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. If you have not joined us in a while, our show is divided into three different segments. We start the show with what we call the Lobby Talk segment. One of the members of the crew talks about a specific topic that they pitch that has to do with the world of entertainment. Then we have our news segment, just one news item today, but it's a doozy. It's a big one that could change what we do around here for a long time. And then we have a main review. And of course, we are going to be talking about Wonder Woman 1984, which of course is the new DC Extended Universe film starring Gal Gadot and directed by Patty Jenkins. Gentlemen, how you doing? You have any New Year's resolutions or anything like that? Just, just make it through. <laughs> continuing the low expectations right the, the last couple of years my new year's resolution was just to be a little bit better than i was last year i'm just gonna keep it that right obviously we're in a time of tumultuous turmoil in terms of the pandemic and health <laughs> tumultuous turmoil perfect yep yep it's been a while um i saw somebody that had a funny tweet that was like 2021 just needs to show up then it'll be okay Honestly, yeah, it's it's that situation where it can't get worse, right? Uh, uh, right? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Everybody knocking wood. Right. Yeah, my cut, my cut New Year's out. resolution is to just, you know, be more productive. He says confidently that he can maybe be productive. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. With Reddit open on a second screen. <laughs> hey, careful. <laughs> it's only three tabs instead of five. Well done. I was going to say, it's still okay to multitask as long as you're doing the other things you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which multitasks are you doing? Right. That's the thing. Like, Nate is just expanding his worldview by uh, seeing what uh, 
a Christmas lover 49. I looked around the room and tried to come up with like a Reddit username. And I looked at a, <laughs> I looked at a, a leftover Christmas bag I had. <laughs> it's like the episode of Family yeah, Guy know. where he looks around the room and it's Peter. And then there's a griffin in the background. <laughs> right, right. So when we last left you guys, it was a probably last summer. And we've been trying to recalibrate and figure out a way to come back in this post-pandemic world. And now things are starting. Well, I shouldn't say post-pandemic. It's still happening. But pandemic world and still deliver a normal middle seat show. So luckily we've got some big releases to talk about over the next few weeks. We've of course got a Wonder Woman review and we're gonna be talking about the state of how the film and TV industry is changing with how everything is going on. But first, we're gonna take a step back to 2020 as Nate introduces our lobby talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. All right, let's just cut straight to it. 2020 sucked. Like, we all thought the 2016 sucked. You could even argue that 2018 had its moments. But 2020 was a whole new world of suckage. And we don't want to linger on the year itself too much. But we do want to bring it back in a hopefully fun movie-related segment here. So my pitch to you guys is, out of all the movies you've seen, what movie best encapsulates the feeling of 2020? All right, what movie was so bad, so agonizing to sit through, that it just reminds you of this year? And I guess I'll start us off with the sequel we didn't think could get as bad as it was, and that is Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. (laughs) So it managed to be boring, even though everything was exploding the entire time. And as the movie dragged out, it got worse and worse and worse. (laughs) This is a movie that featured a giant robot called Devastator. And all it does is dig itself into a hole and show off the wrecking balls that are supposed to act like it's balls. Yeah, it's got big nuts. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my! All the humans suck, and I just wanted to stop caring immediately. But the movie persisted. <laughs> I would say that's true for 2020. All the humans sucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I think we're probably about five years away from Decepticon. So, oh, and I think the worst part about the whole thing is that all the wrong people made money from Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. <laughs> they, you know what? It was still successful at the box office. That's another great point. <laughs> Rewarded for being crappy. You know what? Steve Mnuchin might actually be a producer on that. He's a producer of some big budget movie, so technically, yeah. I mean, if you want to go beyond <laughs> Michael Bay, it even goes to the top-level executives. Nate, mm-hmm. are you throwing up? Don't throw up on us. I, I, I was close after seeing Revenge of the Fall for the first time. I agonized over this movie. <laughs> I will say one difference I have with those two is that I do not remember Revenge of the Fallen at all. I will be remembering 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, Revenge of the Fallen is the kind of subtitle that you say more and more, and it makes less and less sense. Like, I know the Fallen is a character in it, but, like, ugh, Revenge of the Fallen. And what a stupid name for a character, too. <laughs> yes. I don't know if that's, like, original to the toys or the comics or whatever, but the Fallen is the name of the thing. Like, I am the outgoing. 
I am. <laughs> I am the broke ass college student. Yeah. Like what? Yeah, let's get. We're gonna literal there. I am the quirky with a sense of mysterious. Yeah, now I get you. <laughs> Andrew either really likes or doesn't like titles like that too. Like that movie, Good or Bad. That movie, Race, where it's about race, but it's also about race. <laughs> you you ranted about that for a good couple months. No, but but Nate Nate, listen. It's about Jesse Owens, who's a racer, but it's also about he's black, so it's race. Get it? It's like both. It's super clever, Drew. Yeah. I like that <laughs> I, don't know. I like the movie. <laughs> There's another one called Black and White uh, with uh, Kevin Costner and Octavia Spencer, and it's about how issues are not so, you know, black and white, but also Octavia Spencer happens to be black, and Kevin Costner happens to be a white. So, uh, and is there a piano in the movie? <laughs> okay. Or a Grown. zebra. <laughs> I didn't mean I didn't mean to take us off track there. Jake, <laughs> go ahead. You you have the floor. My turn. Uh for me, 2020 was kind of like Suicide Squad. Everyone had high hopes for it or mostly everyone. We were weirdly excited for it for some reason. And then it came in like a bull in a china shop. Right from the get-go, everyone was talking about it. Day 2, World War 3 was trending. Mixed bad reviews for Suicide Squad. And that's really when we should have known what was coming. All the tonal changes in the beginning, nobody was sure what direction it was headed. Then the first act change was uncertain, but pretty bad. And it just never got better. Hence the pandemic, the Suicide Squad getting out for their unclear mission. At some point in the middle, nobody was really sure what was going on. And much like the Joker subplot, the Killer Bees thing just went nowhere. <laughs> the only thing 2020 was missing was a giant beam in the sky. And even then, we got monoliths. Or did those all disappear with the new year? I don't know. <laughs> I was surprised we didn't get a giant beam in the sky. Are you sure that didn't happen? Yeah, I was kind of waiting for that on, like, like December 28th. Like, oh, here we go. <laughs> Where is it? That's also a damn bad movie. <laughs> yeah, I rewatched parts of it because I thought that was going to be my movie and I wanted to see just in case. And I was like, God, right from the beginning, nobody really knows what they're doing with this movie. <laughs> and that's how the year went. Okay, so, Nate, since this is your question... I completely misinterpreted this, I think. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, compared oh, now to you I can't guys. Because the two movies I wrote down are fantastic movies, but they fit the <laughs> themes of 2020. So I have like an audible if you want me to do a real bad movie, but I can guarantee you I'm going to knock it out of the park with my ones that I had written down. So do I have your permission to go a little off course? Go for it, Drew. Sweet. Okay. So like I said, both of my movies that 2020 reminds me of are really good. Like, they're really good movies. Uh, the obvious one is The Road. Have you guys ever seen The Road? Nope. No, actually. It's like, it, we're like five steps away from The Road. It's a 2009 movie starring Viggo Mortensen. It's based off of a very popular post-apocalyptic novel by Cormac McCarthy, uh, where the world is just destroyed. And it is a very, very bleak, bleak adventure about a man and his son just looking for any semblance of hope in a world that's been devastated. Obviously, we're not there yet, but the bleakness... That was an adjective that you could use for a lot of things this year. But the movie I kept thinking of when you prompted this, I, and I don't know why, but then I realized why, is The Truman Show. Have you guys ever seen The Truman Show? I yes, love The absolutely. Truman Show. So I'm very curious to see where you go with this. One of my yeah. favorite movies ever. If you haven't seen it, 1998, uh, directed by Peter Weir, starring Jim Carrey as a man who lives his entire life with one understanding of what life should be. And then that's completely pulled out from under him. And suddenly things start to crumble. Small pleasures seem meaningless in the grand scope of things. What is even life? What is important in life? And I think 
the Truman Show kind of speaks to how our priorities, or at least my priorities, changed this past year. In 2019, what seemed like an issue or like a problem, like, it's so not that today. Like, remember how upset yeah. we were because we were having trouble getting Avengers Endgame tickets? Who cares? <laughs> <Yep>. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? The Avengers couldn't fight coronavirus if they wanted to. Like, <laughs> I felt like Truman this year because I have now just a surreal understanding of what life actually is. Small things that I used to enjoy seem meaningless now in the grand scope of things. And I'm just trying to hold on to a semblance of who I am and what life is in the grand scope of this, th like, amazing thing called the universe, but still this terrifying thing called the universe, as I take a hit of my mm. doobie and finish this rant. Do you yeah, guys understand okay. where I'm coming from? <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel it. And, like, Truman Show feels like a very large version of quarantine where you just want you want Truman to escape and I want to escape from my apartment room and walk outside and eat at a restaurant. Right. But we can't break through that ceiling just yet. Yeah. So that's where I went with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. A good little, good little spin on Nate's question. At least we're ending this segment on a more positive note. If you haven't seen the Truman show, go watch it. It's a great film. <laughs> yeah. Great. Don't watch what Nate or I said, go watch what Andrew said. Yes, please. I guess that's what kind of we're hoping 2021 will be, you know? All right, anything else on Lobby Talk? Goodbye, 2020. 2021, my expectations are low, but please do not disappoint. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, that'll do it for our Lobby Talk segment. Let's head into news. And this just in, a Newsbreak special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So, guys, as we work here, uh, I have a very unique experience going right now in that I have Wonder Woman 1984, which we're going to be talking about in a matter of 10 to 15 minutes, on in the background, on mute. I've seen the movie already, of course. I'm not reviewing it as we go here. Um, That's a segment we should do. Just just <laughs> like reading the subtitles or just reading lips? What? No, like like talking about it as it's happening. No. Well, that's just called a commentary. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think anybody wants us to narrate Wonder Woman. No. Like read the subtitles. Oh, oh, can I be Chris Pine? I mean, obviously. <laughs> if you're going to self-identify, I call Pedro Pascal. That leaves Jake as uh, appropriately Kristen Wiig. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but anyway, this is a reality that if I told you a year ago that I'd be watching Wonder Woman 1984 from the comfort of my home two weeks after it was released to the general public, you'd be like, what happened? Well, here's what happened. A pandemic happened. And I know we say the P word a lot on this podcast, but honestly... I'm pissed to be saying the P word, and it's very not pleasant. It's very important to this news story, though, so we're going to continue. In March, pandemic starts. Things start to get crazy. Things get pulled off the release schedule, delayed in movies. Now, the pandemic is still happening. We're on day like 300 or something ridiculous. At a certain point, people need to start releasing these movies. But how do you do it without pissing everyone off? Well, Warner Brothers doesn't know because <laughs> what they decided to do pissed pretty much everyone off. If you have been living under a entertainment news rock, starting in 2021, every single one of Warner Brothers' major movies will be coming to theaters and to HBO Max for no extra charge on the same day of release. So Wonder Woman 1984 was the kickoff of this. The next one is The Little Things with Denzel Washington. And then it gets way bigger. It's Tom and Jerry, The Suicide Squad, it's Dune, it's Space Jam, it's Matrix 4. It's a lot of major movies that you would never, ever expect to go relatively straight to VOD as an option. It'll be on HBO Max for a month afterwards, and Warner Brothers made this decision 
and didn't tell anyone, apparently. Yeah, that's the that's the thing that got really interesting. <laughs> right. So Christopher Nolan and Denis Villeneuve and a bunch of other directors come out that work with Warner Brothers and, of course, are angry about this. Christopher Nolan drags them in the press. Like, I mean, he's done that before, even when the working relationship was good. But, like, now especially, it's not great. So there's a lot of turmoil. Yeah, Nolan does what he wants. There's a lot of turmoil. I was appropriately, I think, peeved by this. But I will talk about why in a moment, and I'll leave Jay Kensler to explain his thoughts on it first. There's parts of it that are definitely cool. Like, you know, I don't really want to be in a crowded place or even indoors in many places right now. So giving me Wonder Woman to come from my own home, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'll take it. But at the same time, I really don't want movie theaters to just plummet. I am one who really does believe in basically every movie is better in a theater experience. And I don't want to lose that. So I do, but don't like what Warner Brothers was doing. Um, I really don't like at all that they were screwing over directors and actors and actresses and stuff like that without telling them. That was crazy. Can we just call it what it is? That was nuts. Every actor and actress <laughs> and director who was involved was like, yo, what? Right. What are you what are you doing? Are we getting a piece? And like, like this isn't just them getting pissed off. This is like actual contracts that yeah. are being broken right now. Right. That's the crazy thing to me. Uh like literal legal minutiae here that has long-term ramifications that I don't think anybody fully understands yet. Yeah, and there's a lot of studios. I think Legendary is one of them who does a lot of Nolan movies and like I think Godzilla versus Kong and they were like, "No, we don't agree to this. Like you didn't tell us." Yeah. <laughs> And there are mm-hmm. all these people fighting for the theatrical experience. So the big question on the table, Nate, is does this does this actually threaten the theatrical experience or is it just a short-term stopgap? And there's a lot of debate over this. Like, where do you, where do you mm-hmm. stand on that? Yeah, so this is <laughs> unprecedented is a word that describes a lot of this here, but absolutely applies to this situation because nobody – fully knows what the fallout of this is going to be yet. Obviously, you have people that are going full on. This is the death of movie theaters. Sky is falling, but for real this time. Um, And we've talked about it on the show before that movie theaters have been struggling more and more and more. The same way that your small businesses are struggling now in the pandemic. Your toy shops that were already struggling before 2020 are now completely bankrupt. That kind of thing may happen to movie theaters just because as soon as general audiences get the option to start seeing stuff from home, all incentive to go to an expensive, loud, inconveniently timed movie theater can go out the window. And I think this year is going to be very telling on how audiences react to that because I think for the most part, your average moviegoer, the one that sees maybe five or six movies in theaters a year, is excited by this news. I can press pause and go to the bathroom now. I can eat whatever I want and not have to worry about angering everybody around me. I can be on my phone while I'm watching the new release. Or on on the flip side, if you had my experience with the movie Soul, I was interrupted like four different times where I had to pause it because I was watching it in the living room. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah, there's going to be pros and cons to every situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, But from what I've seen on the general public side of things, they're happy about this news. Like, okay, I was paying for streaming services already because everyone has to have a Netflix account and HBO isn't that different. And now I can see new releases at my home. 
this is great. It's the theaters that are going to be struggling a lot here. Yeah, so obviously, as you might expect, if you know anything about the three of our personalities, I was the one that came in the hottest on this because I'm always thinking of the theater. Having worked in two theaters myself, I know, not, if we're not even just talking about the magic of the movie experience, which people would probably accuse me of, like, smelling my own farts when I talk about that shit. But, like, let's not even, like, talk about that. Let's talk about the economics of a movie theater and just how many people it employs. Who gets rich off of this idea is the studios. And even then, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because, guess what? People are not going to be watching these movies exclusively on HBO Max. They're going to torrent them. Piracy is going to be a major mm-hmm. issue. Wonder Woman, yeah. on its first day of release, accounted for 10% of all illegal movie and TV downloads. One movie wow. accounted for 10%. Now, I don't have any kind of comp stats for what that would be. You know, a movie is in theaters and gets illegally downloaded on its first day of release. But this is an HD copy. So there's automatically right. different issues that come into play here. So I, I'm just very, I'm very mm-hmm. wary of the can of worms that this opens going forward. And I mean, there are alternate mm-hmm. things that other studios are doing. Like Disney Plus is charging people like $30 to see certain movies at home. They did it with Mulan and they're going to do it with uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. And I'm sure they're going to be doing it with other things. I'm kind of surprised they didn't do it with Soul. Yeah, that seemed like mm-hmm. kind of it was like a Christmas gift to people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, or it yeah. could also be to boost the subscribers. And it could just be Disney Plus trying things right. out. Like mm. this is this is going to be brand new to all these studios and all these streaming right. services. So I, there's going to be a lot of experimentation this year, I'm sure. But to me, this yeah. specific decision by HBO kind of will hurt those other ones because automatically the consumer is going to see what Disney Plus is doing and be like, well, why are you being greedy and charging me more? This The Disney Plus plan fails at the outset because HBO is offering it for free. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think at least I like. I'm not going to predict that, but I don't. I, Ryan, the Last Dragon's numbers are not going to be the same as like Godzilla versus Kong's numbers because people don't want to pay that extra premium price. Even though to recoup budget, those are the prices that might be necessary. Right. My first thought was, oh no, the movie theaters. Just like a lot of us, could you imagine modern day? We're finally getting a live action Godzilla versus Kong that isn't people in costumes and attached to strings. And it's not in the movie theaters? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, so that's where I first go. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. All these streaming services, not only are they huge and they're they're dom- they're gonna start dominating the industry, we're really gonna see a wide amount of change moving forward. Like Nate said, I think this year is gonna be extremely telling for what studios choose to do and how people react to it and there's so many variables. Right. And they say it's temporary, mm-hmm. but I don't believe them. I don't see why you would believe them if it's successful. If, exactly, yeah. if it works out. Mm-hmm. So I think there's two different points that I want to hit up on. Um, before we get too far away from the subject of price and cost, I think the one thing that I will bet money on happening is that the cost for subscription services is going to go up. Astronomically. Yeah. There's no incentive not to raise the price. They have all the data that people were going to movie theaters and spending 20 bucks, 30 bucks on a new release to bring friends to buy popcorn, all this stuff. So if the demand is going to be there, sure, they have a monopoly on the product, the product being new movies. So they will raise the cost. And there is a big barrier to entry there for the people that don't know how to find movies online 
or people that want to support movies, they have to pay whatever cost uh, the studio is demanding for them. So no doubt the cost of your Netflix account is going to go up. I will bet money on it. I think Netflix specifically, because they're they're starting to lose stuff like Office, Parks and Rec. They lost friends to HBO. They're losing a lot of things. And not all of their original content does well. I know Stranger Things did well. I know like Orange is the New Black did well, things like that. But not all of it does well. So I think they're absolutely going to raise their prices probably on the sooner side. This is a little bit of an aside, but Jake gives me a good entry point. Did you guys see that Peacock in their specific pricing is specifically <laughs> yeah. pricing it based on how much of The Office you get to watch? Yeah, I did see that. I think it's crazy, but... Yeah, talk mm-hmm. about uh, farming your golden goose, you know? <laughs> like you have one yeah. thing, like do the trick. <laughs> well, people have been complaining about how streaming services are essentially cable rebundled anyway. Like the whole reason that we got streaming was to cut the cord. And now all of a sudden you have to pay for 20 different subscriptions to watch all you want to watch. It's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's really maddening. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. But I do want to pivot back to movie theaters mm-hmm. because obviously HBO is advertising this as same day release as movie theaters, implying that they still want to be releasing stuff to the big screen. And this might be controversial among you, uh, you two, but I think the general public generally appreciates having more options. Assuming mm-hmm. that movie theaters don't go away, it's nice to be able to go to the movie theater if I want to, to see my Endgame, my Wonder Woman, my big blockbusters, and then be able to go home and watch the more indie film or the new release or whatever or I want to see. if say. Andrew is like, hey, this week we have to review a Geostorm, I'd be like, well, F that. I'll watch it at home then. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> options are nice, especially for families that have been complaining about the cost of bringing all five or six of you to the movie theater right, yeah. and having to deal with that whole experience just to watch Trolls World Tour, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. think in the short term, it, that's a nice sentiment, but... Is that sustainable? I mean, I guess that's something we're going to have to find out. Right. Something I've been thinking of in terms of not even beyond cost and everything like that for movie theaters and stuff like that, thinking just in terms of Hollywood and stuff like the the kind of domino effect that this could have. Like, let's let's use Wonder Woman 1984 as a litmus. It's a major franchise movie, but it's like directed by somebody who before this was not like proven. Patty Jenkins, of course, she's booked a Star Wars gig. The reaction to Wonder Woman 1984 has been more immediate, and the box office receipts don't back that up. Could this have a domino effect where a movie that would have been received better in theaters is received this way, like negatively, on the smaller screen, and then that person doesn't get as much work and this actor doesn't get as much? Do you think there will be some kind of ripple effect to that? Is that even quantifiable? Do you guys get what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah, assuming the cost of making a movie does not go down during all this, which I don't see why it wouldn't, um, then, yeah, you're going to have a lot more incentive to make sure your movies are making their money back. And if streaming is less profitable, even in the short term, yeah, I can see Hollywood saying, okay, at least for this next two years, we have to focus on our bankable actors or bankable directors because we cannot take any risks right now. That's very true. I actually, I did not think about that. And yeah, it could cost a lot of people some, some roles. Like, would we, would we get a Kristen Wiig in Wonder, in Wonder Woman 2? Right? Yeah. Then maybe they go with somebody more famous, somebody more bankable. Would something like Get Out have propelled 
Jordan Peele into Jordan Peele if it was available at home and in theaters? I don't know. Yeah, probably because not. I think it gets lost in the shuffle. That was such a phenomenon and such an experience. But yes, it might get lost in the shuffle. That's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one thing I wanted to pivot back to before we moved on was whether or not theater companies are going to be different than movie theaters going away and all this. And what I mean by that is AMC has been very upfront saying that they are struggling to keep their business going. I'm sure that Regal is having similar conflicts right now. I think the question in my head is, let's say that the the demand for movie theaters post-pandemic is still there, but the companies that are currently owning those buildings go out of business. Are we going to see Amazon or even like a Netflix or something or Disney scooping up those businesses and all of a sudden you have a HBO Max theater that only shows HBO movies? Yeah, that's really interesting. You know what we haven't even talked about is the universal part of this too, which was a big contested thing earlier this year. So yeah, I think that that could Mm -hmm. potentially lead into it. I know there have been some rumors that I think – Somebody, one of the major studios is thinking about buying Cinemark, which is a chain. So, I mean, I I can see a reality where that happens. I don't think we're quite there yet, hopefully, uh, because I don't mm-hmm. like that personally. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's I think that's bad. I think that's going to make like another monopoly type situation where if an Amazon is able to put more hands in different pots to the point where it's not just shopping, it's also everywhere for movies and Everything has to go through them. I think that's going to be overall bad for business. But then somebody on the flip side might say that AMC having as many theaters as it had is bad for business because they're anti-competitive and they don't do anything new with theaters. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a lot more interesting than what I was going to say. What were you going to say? <laughs> that's like that kind of like I am sitting down, but that kind of sat me down for a second. I was like, damn, that's a real possibility. <laughs> um, I was just going to say similar to what we had to say about theater experiences, like obviously big budget stuff like Avengers and, you know, whatever else is meant to be seen in theaters. But even smaller things like comedy, is aren't comedies generally a little bit funnier on opening night when everybody's laughing together? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like even in, at Endgame at the end with when all the portals open up and everybody's screeching and cheering, you don't get that at home. Right. Like I'm, I would absolutely miss that. I don't want that to go away. That's all I was thinking. Right. And the studio's rebuttal will be like, well, you guys can have like watch parties over Zoom. And it's like, no, it's not the same atmosphere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the same. Yeah. Yeah. Could, yeah. Jay, could you imagine like, <laughs> got to make sure everything's in sync. It's right. awful. Jay, could you imagine like <laughs> sitting at home watching Endgame and that happens and you have chills and then Charlie comes over and just like stands in front of the Charlie, your dog stands in front of the yeah. TV. Like, <laughs> Let's be clear. Yeah, not some guy, like some random person. Or yeah, <laughs> some guy named Paul. <laughs> yeah. No, or, or my cat just, my cat does this, just starts randomly like, it's not really a meow, it's more of a screech. Yeah. She'll just do well, that. And I'm like, cut it I, out. I heard a lot of people that did screech during the portal scene. So actually that's kind of accurate. Like obviously things are meant to be seen on the biggest screen possible, but there's, there's a, a camaraderie to it for certain yeah. movies that is not meant to just be watched at home alone. There, there are great stories that mm. come from it too. Like when I went to go see Hancock and there was a fight or, uh, or like when I saw Endgame and some yeah. woman sobbed so loud that I couldn't hear the dialogue when, uh, spoiler alert, Tony Stark dies. Oh, I think they're great at least personally. So I guess there are some mm. people that don't agree with me there. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean yeah. though. I, I think most people agree with you, Drew. I think the bigger question is whether this trend of streaming things is going to kill movie theaters or just make the crowds going to movie theaters smaller. Mm. 
And I think that's what remains to be seen. Because I don't think this announcement alone kills the movie theater experience. It's still being released to theaters. Yeah, and I think my final wrap-up point is going to be more of a... I'm going to implore our listeners, all seven of you, if you like a movie that you watched at home on HBO Max, go see it in theaters too. Try to. Once it's safe. Yes. Yeah. If Once you feel comfortable and once it's safe. Right. But if you love Godzilla vs. Kong, if you love Dune, go see Dune on the biggest screen possible because then you are showing and supporting the creativity of the art so it actually will be able to be quantified in money how much you enjoyed said movie and you'll get more movies like that and also it just does well for the theater it keeps people employed so that's what i would ask if you can do that once things start to clear up a little bit absolutely we'll be back on this topic one day so many days I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> anyway let's transition to the specific content that you can watch on hbo max right now let's move into our full review of wonder woman 1984 this world is not yet ready for all that you will do. Citizens of the world, I'm here to change your life. Anything you want. I don't want to be like anyone. I want to be an apex predator. I've never been one for rules. The answer is always more. What did you do? Wonder Woman 1984 was released on Christmas Day in theaters and at home. It is directed by Patty Jenkins, who also directed the 2017 original. It is Gal Gadot's fourth time in the role of Wonder Woman after Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, uh, the original Wonder Woman, and Justice League. Chris Pine returns somehow. We'll get into that. Uh, it also stars Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, Relatively small ensemble, but a big budget movie. Our first big superhero movie since this all started. Probably the biggest superhero movie since Birds of Prey. I think that's correct. Yeah. Ah, I think so. Yeah, so that would be about... The Birds of Prey came in out in February, so that's about 10 February. months without a superhero movie. Yeah, the longest in like 10 years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. People were obviously craving this, plus it was a sequel to a very well-liked first movie. That was a huge box office hit. The big hook to Wonder Woman 1984 is right in the title. It takes place in 1984. The first film took place during World War One. We aren't quite in present day, but uh, Diana Prince slash Wonder Woman kind of doing her thing. She comes across several foes, several challenges, and uh, has to do a lot of things in this two and a half hour movie that we will have a lot to talk about with because the internet uh, doesn't like this one. It's probably the most negative reaction to a movie that I've seen since either of the Star Wars sequels, uh, not counting Force Awakens, obviously. It's just the immediate like downturn of opinions that I saw on Twitter, and I'm sure that Nate saw on Reddit, and that Jake saw wherever he goes. The rock under the street, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, neg the negative reactions, not even like polarized reactions, just a lot of negative. Uh, and I know the last time that the three of us talked about a movie... Uh, that was this negative really received. Uh, it wasn't so simple. No. <laughs> but I think I think we're pretty much all around the same page on this one. So let's start with you, Nate. General thoughts, non-spoiler thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so to go back to the magical land of December, the reviews were starting to come out. We were getting a little excited, like, oh, 
people are people are having some positive reactions to this thing. And me as like I guess the dedicated DCEU anti fanboy was just like the trailer looked a little weird still. I'm still getting cat vibes from whoever this cheetah person's supposed to be, like the musical cat. Let's see what happens. And then it comes out and I think I think not only critics but audiences were just mad thirsty for a superhero movie because the Rotten Tomatoes score just plummeted after general audiences got to this thing. And I agree with them. Uh, <laughs> I don't think this was a very good movie. Um, it definitely has some some redeeming qualities. Uh, I think Gal Gadot and Chris Pine are still fun. And I actually liked the villains for the most part. But the story was all over the place. This magic dreamstone that drives the plot raises so many weird questions that take you out of the movie the entire time. And we kind of just go from there and just hope that it gets better and then kind of ugh, scowl <laughs> a little bit when it doesn't. <laughs> so that was kind of my feeling of the movie. Jake, we had a long discussion after you finished just watching this. Uh, and I know yeah. you're a little softer on it, at least compared to Nate. So why don't you, why don't you set yourself up for that? Yeah. Um, well, I was, I was going to take what Nate said about the, the dreamstone and I'm wondering when studios are going to stop doing stuff like this. How often does it work? It's like, they don't Rarely. watch each other's movies. <laughs> it's like, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the four, the four leads, um, gal, Chris Pine and the two villains, like Nate said, like generally I thought they were good. Yeah. But ditto, the story was consistently what? How? Why? And then, no. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of no watching this movie, too. Um, I am I am a little bit softer. We've had this review before where I don't necessarily like it, and I'm somehow the high man. It's a bad script. I don't think it's necessarily a bad movie. I think it's just kind of it's disappointing, and it was very meh. And there's a lot of story issues that I would never, I could not defend. But there are elements that I went, oh, I like that. Okay. So I ended up a little softer. <laughs> you know, I spent all that time kind of like talking trash about this whole HBO Max uh, Warner Brothers thing. But I will say it was pretty funny to have Nate pause the movie, take a photo of something he didn't like and send it to the two of us. <laughs> like that's, that's a pretty electric yeah. moment in Middle Seats history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I normally am the most tight-lipped out of all of us going into the podcast to make sure that my thoughts are completely unknown to you before I come on. But this was a middle seats moment. I paused the movie, because I can do that now on HBO Max, texted these guys, what were they talking about? This is not how that works. And we'll go over <laughs> that moment <laughs> later. Yeah, um, we can't wait. But it involves a jet. <laughs> I will tell yeah. you that. that it involves funny. a jet. And I literally had to pause the movie and say, what the hell were they thinking for this scene? Yeah. <laughs> I like to picture Nate like pacing around his living room furious and like, like uncontrollably tapping his hands. Like, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. My favorite part was that I paused the movie, told you guys, started the movie back up. And then had to pause it again to follow up the thought because it went worse. <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm going to kind of echo both of what you say and then take it a step forward. Um, I'm not going to give props to Gal Gadot. I'm kind of iffy on her as an actress, but she's good in this role, I guess. Pedro Pascal is the standout for me. It's not even close. Like, uh, And he's the only one that understands what this movie's supposed to be. 
This movie is very much a case of decent action, decent ideas. One of the worst scripts for a modern blockbuster, full stop. Because you can tell other things are polished in it, but the writing here is so bad. It, it is overstuffed. It's ridiculous, but it's not like fun ridiculous. There are a lot, a lot of sloppy writing. It's crammed. There's not nearly enough Wonder Woman in it, which we will get into more later. Mm. But like, wow, they should have called it Diana Prince 1984. <laughs> not as catchy or marketable, I'm sure. <laughs> but my biggest problem here is I can excuse a bad script up to a point if the tone is right. This movie is trying to be a Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie. It's trying to be like that kind of whimsical tone. It doesn't hold, but like still have some kind of emotional weight to it. It's supposed to be intentionally cheesy and corny. But Patty Jenkins just... Is it? Yes. Yeah, it's trying to do that. I've but, heard people say that and I that's not what I got from it. Well, that's the reason why is because <laughs> Patty Jenkins is not yeah. Sam Raimi. She, she's not a good enough director to pull that off. So the whole thing is just awkward. It's just It just comes off kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. Because you're not enjoying yourself like you should be, the pacing drags. They're all, this movie's really boring at points. Like, really tough to get through, especially in the first hour. And that's really hard for a two-and-a-half-hour yeah, movie. it's really not good, especially in the setup. You notice the mistakes more, and you notice things that, like, in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies that I forgave, at least. Like, the big thing for me were, like, the extras. Like, every extra in this movie, hor- horrible. Horrifically <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and then there are these, I mean, the characters in the Sam Raimi movies, like the Spider-Man movies, like the, the lady who plays uh, Spider-Man's theme song on her violin, the I'm not paying for those, Pizza Lady at the beginning of two. Like those kind of characters flourish and add to the comic book tone. That's not something this movie pulls off. And it's a big problem because I can't excuse the problems of the script, which we're going to go into in detail in a bit. Yep. Yeah. But... I can't even say I had fun with it. That's the problem. I'm kind of stuck. I can't defend it. Yeah, that that's one of the things you said to me that stuck. You were like, you said, I can forgive, you know, script issues and, and minor plot things up to a point if we're having fun. But if we're not, all those things stick out so much more and we hate them even more. I'm like, that is that is a good point. Yeah. One thing that I was very disappointed that came back in this sequel is that all the action scenes still do this very cartoony, slow-mo movement style that I am on record for slamming the first movie on. The last (laughs) act of the original Wonder Woman looks like a kid has two action figures and is just shaking them around on the screen. Like, Wonder Woman looks plastic. Her arms and legs don't move the same way, like super speed and super strength is portrayed in other superhero movies. So it looks super unnatural and it ramps that up in a distracting manner in this movie, Uh, especially the, the car chase scene that you see in the trailer where instead of having a character move her legs really fast to show that she's running fast, she's just running like she's out for a stroll in the park, but somehow each step is taking her like 20 feet more than the average human. It looks really bad. Yeah, yeah I, I noticed that too. I don't get why too. they keep this. Because they did it in Justice League. They did it in Wonder Woman. And I think it looks just so off. It's like 
high schoolers in front of a green screen kind of off that a big blockbuster just shouldn't look like, my opinion. I had issues with it in the first, but not to the magnitude I did here. And I think it has to do with, again, just the way this movie looks in comparison. It's supposed to be like, like kind of lighter and the way it's lit and everything. You can mask bad effects in a moment like uh, No Man's Land in the first one, where it's gray and the lighting is very specific. A lot of this movie takes place in like daytime. So it does look very plasticky. You're absolutely right about that. And then the stuff that takes place at night is pretty bad too, because it's like pitch black. So it's like, and you can't see crap. Right. So every, it's like every calculated <laughs> yeah. decision they made in terms of the choreography of like the action scenes is like not good. Something I kind of noticed the three main action scenes all have issues. Like the, the opening one doesn't really end up amounting or meeting anything. The second one doesn't look good effects wise. And the third one is completely dark. You can't even see what's going on. Yeah. Good job, Warner Brothers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's just so many issues to get into here. But I think our main issues are with the script, and we can't really discuss those without going into spoiler territory. So let's get into our ratings yeah. here. <laughs> if you haven't been keeping up on how we rate movies, which is fine. I almost forgot. I had to write them down today. <laughs> it's been a little while. <laughs> a little rusty. Yeah, we rate movies on the seat scale, even though that's not really applicable right now. But it's still pretty fun. If we think a movie is perfect and has, like, no flaws, we give it a royal throne. If a movie is great but has small flaws, we give it a plush recliner. If we think a movie is decent but has some pretty significant flaws, we give it a wooden seat. If we have the inverse of that, it's a movie with decent things in it but has mostly bad things in it, we give it a damp lawn chair. And if we think a movie is pretty irredeemable across the board, we give it a sleazy outhouse. And if we think it's something that you need to see on the big screen, we give it a bag of popcorn moniker, though... Again, not really applicable to today. <laughs> R.I.P. So, Nate, what would you give Wonder Woman 1984? This is a pretty definitive damp lawn chair for me. I don't think I'll go lower. The casting's good, and what those actors and actresses do with their characters, for the most part, works as intended, I think. But it's the storytelling that's sloppy across the board here, and that's why this is nowhere close to a wooden seat. Damp lawn chair. I'm not excited about this one. I'm still not excited about the DCEU. So if you have HBO Max, go for it. There's not much else to see. But otherwise, I don't think you need to buy a subscription to watch this one. Jake? Um, I had a bit of a roller coaster ride with this. When I, when I first finished it, I was uh, on one end after talking to Andrew for, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes, I was on another end and I slept on it and I went back and forth a little bit. I think I'm gonna settle on a low a low wooden seat. I didn't quite feel like it dragged like you guys did. And there were still moments that I, I overall liked and had fun with despite the glaring story issues. So I'm gonna go low wooden seat, like just a little bit worse and I'm with you guys, but I didn't end up disliking it as much as some of you. I tried to find a path to wooden seat. I really did. I wanted to, but I just like I just didn't enjoy myself watching that movie. I, my dad and I watched it. Another perk: uh, people watching <laughs> movies that uh, they probably wouldn't watch or go to the theater for. My dad and I sat through Wonder Woman 1984 in total silence and did not discuss it. He went straight to bed as soon as the credits rolled. <laughs> 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 it was like we were at a funeral, and then the next day he goes, I'm going to reserve my thoughts for your after your review, and then liked my tweet. So I think he agreed with me. Um, <laughs> it's like he needed to sleep it off. <laughs> uh, 
he's funny because most movies are yeah that was all right or like when things like are terrible he'll be like yeah that wasn't (laughs) very binary i was gonna say (laughs) it's like his scale never goes past the wooden seat damp lawn chair but i think that's just telling that like general audiences are not enjoying it i mean we're not like comic experts but we're comic fans and we're not liking it we love all the avengers movies for the most part uh and this is worse than anything that marvel's put out and it's like on the bottom tier of dceu to be honest like i'd rather watch aquaman again i'd rather watch a lot of other things again uh not suicide squad or batman v superman let me get on the record with that <laughs> i was like i was gonna call right, you this out this is a damp lawn chair it just is unfortunately like it just feels unpleasant's not the right word it's just kind of like whatever it's it's disappointingly mediocre and there's a lot of rough stuff in it that does leave for a lot of good spoiler talk, so let's get there. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! I don't know if you guys want to just go free reign, but I think the best way to do this is kind of just talk about that Dreamstone first. Agreed. I think that's a good place, yeah. talk about how little it makes sense in any kind of context that even the movie sets up. <laughs> All right. So should I just go for it? Yeah. I kind of, I kind of like tried to alley-oop it to you. Cause like, you're usually good with starting this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so here's your Nate abridged version of the movie. Uh, the main villain, uh, Pedro Pascal, AKA Max Lord is after the Dreamstone because it kind of works like a monkey's paw. If you make a wish while you're holding it, you will have your wish come true, but at a cost. And his master plan to kind of get around the the consequence is to wish for the powers of the Dreamstone. So he is able to have you make a wish and then he'll take something for him in return. The whole plot revolves around Wonder Woman and the newly reincarnated, um, what's what's his name, Steve? Steve Trevor. Yeah, and the newly reincarnated Steve Trevor, uh, along with Christian Wiggs' character, who turns yeah. out to be Cheetah. Can I stop you right there? Because implying reincarnated, he's he's possessing someone. He, he's he's a demon. <laughs> we will get to the possession saying, I, because Twitter and the internet is going all over the possession. We will get to that. The in semantics a are important here, so yeah, carry on. We're gonna have a whole section for that, I think. Yeah, but basically, Wonder Woman and Steve go on this little scavenger hunt to try to stop uh, Max Lord from becoming too powerful with the Dreamstone because he goes from being a failed businessman, obviously inspired by. Uh, Donald Trump and kind of just becoming this Omega superpower and walls around nations are built. People are killing each other and the whole world is ending because this guy just can't say no to getting more and more power. Um, It's an interesting premise, but as we discussed, the way that the Dreamstone works is super inconsistent. Yes, to say the least. Yeah, it raises more questions than it answers. Yes, because specifically, let's start with our main character's wishes. Okay, Max wants to be the Dreamstone. All right, that that mm-hmm. checks out. If I was the Dreamstone, I would turn him into rocks, but whatever. <laughs> right. So that's what the, the, like if, if there was more stuff like that, there's none of that. Because apparently the Dreamstone is like 
Steph Curry from three levels of accuracy of what you want, even if you're not specific. So, like, Diana doesn't even say her <laughs> wish, if I remember correctly. And the Dreamstone yep. just knows what she wants. Okay, whatever. Barbara just says, like, I want to be as strong and sexy as Diana. How does the Dreamstone know who Diana's referencing? How does it, like... Eh, I'm okay with that one. I think that's super nitpicky, and there's so many more glaring flaws to get to. I think we go straight to Steve. I th- <laughs> Rather than just making a zombie version of Steve, or even like a real-life version of Steve, um, with the with the loss of powers thing, the Dreamstone goes through this convoluted way of having Steve come back through another guy that looks kind of like him. And... He looks like that average guy to everyone else, but Wonder Woman sees him as Steve. And then they bang and go on this merry adventure together and just totally steal this guy's yeah. body. It's Not super only steals weird. this guy's body, has sex with him many times, and then at one point storms the White House with this random guy. It's implied that the world didn't forget about any of this. It doesn't imply at any point that anybody's memories were wiped from this. So this guy's like a fugitive now, isn't he? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, my favorite um, is that they need to steal a jet in order to go to Egypt. And they specifically can't get on a regular airline because this guy doesn't have a passport. But she's talking about Steve not having a passport. The guy he's possessing... Probably does, <laughs> but they have to go because movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have accepted just Steve walking out of a, a basement of a building at 10 o'clock at night or out of, like, the woods. Like, maybe the Dreamstone just appeared him somewhere and there's effects. Not inhabit another person's body. That It just makes it way more complicated. <laughs> Can you imagine? There's absolutely ways to ride around that. Yeah, and the stone literally shows us dematerializing nukes out of the air. So it's not like it needs to have life to give life or anything like that. It can make something right. out of Shit nothing. Right, just happens. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. You skirt past the Barbara thing because you're, I mean, you're right. It is a little bit of a nitpick. But then Max makes such a point of people have to touch people and touch him and say specifically what they want that the movie is so, like, not good with the specifics of anything anywhere that it's just, like, a mess. Ugh. And, like, we are totally nitpicking the logic of this movie but i think the most insulting part about all of it is that if there was a reason for all the inconsistencies that'd be something like okay we need to set up the action scene or we need to set up the stakes but everything that we brought up so far has no relevance to the plot steve possessing somebody else never comes There's up no again, reason. except for like a cute little Christmas story scene at the end well i was gonna say like the hallmark scene at the end there's no narrative or plot-driven reason for the stone to act the way it does for yeah. everything that we're blowing up. Like, the Mayan guy oh doesn't need to be there Don't for get the me plot. Started. It's just uh, Barbara it's just, just happens to know a Mayan <laughs> shaman who has, like, his own garage business. Like, what? <laughs> what? Like, Barbara, who wouldn't talk to anybody a couple of days mm-hmm. ago, knows this guy? Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Again, this is what I'm talking about. Th- these are things that I wouldn't be going as hard on if I had fun with this movie, but this movie is just like a show in terms of just tone and character. It's just like, it's all over the place. Just, just once I wanted somebody to swat Max Lord's hand and be like, why are you touching me? But yeah, I wish for blah, blah, blah. And every time he was like, and don't you want this? Like, no, stop touching yeah. me. Everybody's okay with him touching people. Like world leaders 
He's just gripping their hands and their shoulders. And they're like, <laughs> well, right. that's, that's just you being sensitive no. to the uh, current pandemic times when we're not supposed to touch anyone. Yeah, I was going to make the same joke. <laughs> Beat you to it. <laughs> even, even still, he's just, he's getting right up to these people and like grabbing them. I do not believe mm. that that would actually happen, first of all. But I really wanted to somebody like make a point of that. Like, no, get off me. <laughs> Is it an 80s thing? I'm not sure. Oh, can we, can we talk about that? Because other than, like, some comedic things with Chris Pine, which admittedly did make me laugh, 1984 has nothing to do with this movie other than that and, like, nuclear Russian stuff. <laughs> well, putting it in the past actively makes the DCEU, like, stupider. Because, one, the way Wonder Woman conducts her business is so flaunting. You know what I mean? Like, she's supposed to be, like, this mysterious figure, but she's, like, out there in the middle of, like, a strip mall just, like, stopping crying and, like, nobody got a photo. They can have satellites that, like, integrate and hack into any TV, but nobody got, like, a video of Wonder Woman, and nobody knew about her when Bruce Wayne looks her mm. up 25 years later. Yeah, that's that's the big thing. Like, they made a point in the mall scene to show her getting rid of all the security cameras, but if she did this monumental event in the White House, and then even farther with, uh, with Max Lord, where she touched everybody, how does nobody know who she was by the time Bruce Wayne gets a hold of yeah. her? What? <laughs> Right. You were trying to tee him up for the period aesthetic, I'm assuming, right? Yes. So I, I kind of derailed from that. So you got continue with that. Yeah, th this movie has nothing to do with the 80s. No. <laughs> I was actually really pumped for the trailer for one reason, and that was like that awesome remix of uh, the Blue Monday yeah. song there. How does it feel? Like, yeah. That was dope. I wanted 80s music in here. I wanted some like techno mumbo jumbo kind of stuff. I Just some period piece. Yeah, and, the most they did with it was outfits. Yeah, and even then, it was it was pretty lame jokes. <laughs> yeah. You can see them all in the trailer. I laughed at the breakdancing one. I thought that one was pretty funny. So did I. That When he like really is caught off guard and like is ready to fight, I thought that was so yeah. funny. I really I, The did, other ones but... are all in the trailer, though. I agree. <laughs> the music was, even taking the 80s out of it, the music was totally uninspired. Like, like the theme that we've gotten to like over the last couple of years with the really heavy guitar. I don't remember that showing up at all, maybe a little bit at the end when she's going I think going it was in Max the Cairo Lord. sequence, if I remember correctly as well. But yes, you're right. It, it's mostly absent. Oh, see, the fact that I don't remember is not a Hans good Zimmer sign. Hans <laughs> didn't do the scores for the other movie, so I think he tried to do his own thing here, but he forgot a little bit of what... I think the score was probably at its best in the prologue sequence, which, by the way, talk about something that just does not add anything. It's the only sequence they shot in IMAX, so it seems like, <laughs> except for like the Lifetime movie thing at the end. And it just never, it like barely comes around. Like, okay, Diana learned not to lie and cheat. Okay. Like adult Diana didn't already learn that lesson by the time Wonder Woman 1984 started. Like what, <laughs> right. what is the relevance? Yeah. Like I, and I, I like that scene too. I thought it was a good and like pretty engaging and well done scene, but it doesn't like, how old is she now? I'm very old. She's been fighting forever. She knows not to lie. Like, we didn't need that scene to reinforce it, even though it's a cool scene. It doesn't add to anything. Yeah, I, I think the intent was obviously leading into the dreamstone of, like, you can't cheat your way to success. So it's like she easy ride to life kind of thing, I guess, is how they were attempting to mix that up. But they do nothing with it. And they don't even tie it back to Max Lord's arc. I think he's the one who really needs to be taught you can't cheat to get ahead right. or it's going to cost you. There are no consequences. It never comes around. His, his freaking <laughs> random kid who apparently just keeps getting left at his office 
Like, how many times did that kid just show up in the office and they're like, oh, time for this plot point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's no comeuppance for either of our (laughs) villains. Either of them. They both just seem to walk away from this. Yeah. Yeah. The the last scene with with, uh, Cheetah is her just looking disappointed where they had fought. Right. Like, nothing really happened talk about a lame fight yeah. too oh my yeah God. i was very that was very disappointed with that especially like they hype up this armor yeah. in the trailer that was which is another thing by the way and i know what i'm about to say is gonna cue another thing um but <laughs> like, like so like a, she it's like one of those cascading explosions <laughs> yeah it's just it, it, it keeps going um so when she when she learns to fly we're assuming she goes straight to max lord right uh when did she get her armor I, yeah like we, I know she's in possession of it. It's in her apartment, but she's flying there without it, and then she shows up there I mean, with it. So maybe she stopped off to get it, but like mm-hmm. that wasn't clear to me. She just all of a sudden has I, it. Just the introduction of that armor was weird. They like literally just stop at her apartment so Steve can ask her what that is. Yeah, <laughs> and she showed it off as cool as like I do my Rubik's cubes <laughs> yeah. in my apartment. Somebody <laughs> walks over like, oh. You could do those, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I see. Like, it scrambled up yeah. right here. Isn't that cool? That's how, that's how Diana treated <laughs> this legendary yeah. armor, and all it does is get scratched up by the little cheetah girl, and that's it. <laughs> like, comic book fans, I hope you're happy because that was so. Yeah. Epic. Uh, I mean, they had to been, have been making this movie and watch Cats and been like, well, crap. Like, <laughs> like, it's, it's going to be inevitable because as much yeah, as, as much literally looking like Taylor Swift, right, yeah. as much as it's the inevitable joke, you, you have to do it. Like, it's it's obvious it's low hanging fruit. But like, she looks worse than the characters in Cats. She has like Marilyn Manson mm-hmm. guy liner on like right under her eyes. It's like, who designed this character? And then this whole fight, it, I agree, it doesn't. It doesn't do anything so for me. dark. And the resolution of Max Lord's thing makes even less sense to me. Like, Diana is tapping into him and talking to everybody. Like, what can the whip do? What can't the whip do? What am I doing with my life watching this? Yeah. Like, I cannot stand how they realized, oh, my God, this is the most boring climax ever. Quick, let's just put a fan on Pedro Pascal so the wind is rolling around him and it seems more exciting because <laughs> we cannot yeah, do By the way, how is his signal still working when Cheetah and... <laughs> Uh, Wonder Woman's fight literally took out an electrical tower. That's like that was a whole nitpick I had. Even even before that, how how convenient that the the president just has this technology in the eighties. And also when he when he walks in, they don't try to hide it. He he barges into this office. It's just up in the office, and they don't try and hide it from this power hungry maniac. Well, I'm assuming did he charm them mm-hmm. all yet? I, I that's unclear. You know. But like, like as soon as somebody who's not affiliated with the government walks into that office, and that secret technology stuff is up, you bring it down. Yeah. He turns around and goes, "Oh, what's yeah, this? It's... Oh, here's what that is." Q third <laughs> act. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. ugh. I did promise the viewers and listeners that I would talk about this part that I paused the movie for. Them going across the ocean in the plane is the stupidest series of events that I've ever seen. They can't just fly over there on a commercial jet. They have to steal a plane. So they go to the Smithsonian where the exhibit planes are just unlocked for anybody with a museum pass to go up to, turn on the keys. They're all fueled up, ready to go. And then this Steve guy from World War I has no problems flying. And they can just 
take off without a problem. I paused the movie to tell these guys how stupid the scene was, unpaused it, and then Diana can just casually turn yeah. things invisible now <laughs> with yeah. no buildup whatsoever. <laughs> like, what? I, I mean, like, it's it's supposed <laughs> to be a take on the invisible jet, but yes, in the context of this, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you're completely right. There's no, there's no what's, payoff. What's mind-boggling to me is the implications that they had to do the whole thing again to get back. You know, <laughs> like she had she had to turn the jet yeah. invisible again. <laughs> they had to somehow come back from Cairo. They just show up at the shaman's like place. What did we did we mm. skip a reel? Like where? How did they get back? Yeah, we had talked about this, but her turning it invisible and her flying just kind of happen. They're not they're not earned mm. or anything. It's just like, oh, we can do this now. Cool, I guess. Like, yeah. all right, what else yeah. can you do now? <laughs> yeah, I I do want to say a few nice mm. things. Yeah. Uh, because we we're we're piling on. Yeah, me cause, too. Because I'm I've been with you guys on all the negative yeah. stuff. I'd like to compliment the relationship between Godot and Pine. Beyond the yeah horrific implications of how Steve Trevor is back, their rapport is still good. They have good banter, and I actually think the scene where she has to renounce her wish was actually really well done. I think it's a good scene where the two of them talk to each other, and then just sticking with her and not even seeing it happen, like him disappearing from the guy yeah good scene yeah i like that i like that a lot soured a little bit by the flying immediately after but (laughs) and i I, again i think pedro pascal is the standout for me he is the one hitting the tone that the rest of the rest of the movie can't hit he reminded me a lot of uh willem dafoe Mm. in the first spider-man just with his line deliverings and his mannerisms and his little tics he's great Life is good, but it could be right. better. Or, or like when he goes up to the girl, he's like, I need to touch as many people as possible at the same time as I can. Like those kind of lines, horrible in other people's <laughs> hands, but he does such a good job with them. Um, and I, I thought Kristen Wiig was okay. Um, I think her character is her character her. is from a completely different movie entirely, I think. But like she did what she was asked to do. So I don't I don't put any of the blame really on the actors that much. Like I said, I think Godot could be a better actress, but for this role, it works. I was going to say, I, I like the actors overall, and I think a lot of the the saving graces for me were in, even though how they brought back Chris Pine was terrible, um, I think their chemistry is good for the movie. I think it's really good in general. I think they both really work well from each other. I think he's got good comedic timing for this character. And I, I really believe their relationship. I think it carries it quite a bit. I'll just echo what you guys said. I thought the actors did a good job with what they were given. Um, but I think none of the four of them were strong enough to carry this movie to anything resembling a good film. And if I could go on like one big tangent before we wrap up mm-hmm. here, I kind of just wanted to theorize with you guys what happened here, because I've been trying to make sense of what the writers were going for with this script And I think there must have been something disastrous behind the scenes that we aren't privy to that had to get cut that might have made more sense of all this. Because movies don't just happen and they try to tie up the loose ends together. There was probably a reason why Chris Pine needed to possess someone instead of be a random person. Um, there's probably a reason that they needed to fly all the way to Egypt for a fight scene to fly all the way back inexplicably. Do you think she handed it in a three hour cut and they were like, nah, I, I think it's even more 
more than that because there's parts of the movie that just actively don't make sense in a way that I really don't think a competent studio could put together. So my theory, and I am piggybacking of some other things that I've said online, so this is not all just me, but I think that this movie was supposed to feature another DC character or like the intro to one, the same way that Batman vs. Superman introduced Wonder Mm. Woman. And something fell through. Like, maybe there's a DC hero with Mayan origins, and that's why they needed to bring up the Mayans for that one part. Something fell through with the actor, or the studio couldn't greenlight the movie, so they had to cut the movie, and then they had to, coincidentally, cut all the stuff that could have made this movie make sense. Out. (laughs) I I was going to theorize with you um, uh, something along those lines, too. Like, there's an episode of BoJack where they're trying to do a a female John Wick or a female Taken kind of thing. I think it's they call it mistaken. And <laughs> they're supposed to release the movie like like in a week. And there's a big mall shooting mm-hmm. and they have their big third act piece is a shooting in a mall. And they're like, oh my God, we can't release this now. Like like maybe something like that too. Who right, knows? That's a direct that I think that's a direct play on what yeah. happened with Gangster Squad after Aurora. Yeah. I remember that. Um I think I mean my answer mm-hmm. is simple. It's partially that DC doesn't really know what they're doing. And partially that That's also true. <laughs> we're, we've been spoiled by what Marvel's able to do and able to accomplish with just the consistent churning of at least decent and passable movies. You know what I mean? Like, this is kind of exemplary of a lot of big budget blockbusters where it's just got like this overstuffed script and it has no idea to do what to do with so many of the elements that it introduces. They had this huge script and they realized that what they were doing was not working but there was really like no time. They have they have to do what they had to do and they had to get something going. So they just kind of like patchworked it. Yeah, I think they had to work with the footage they had. The real one for me is the the Chris Pine thing. I don't see why the movie would go through all the trouble of having him possess somebody instead of just showing up um, and going through the trouble of hiring that actor and implementing him into the script in so many places if that character didn't mean something like maybe we'll see that character again as like the alter ego for martian manhunter or maybe he's the god of trickery or something like some weird tie-in that either fell through in this movie or is underdeveloped because it just it doesn't make sense from hollywood standpoint why would you add more to the movie that costs more money to make if it doesn't add to anything. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. And those are questions we won't have answers for for a while. There will be a Wonder Woman yeah. 3 <laughs> at some point. Patty Jenkins is probably going to go off and do Star Wars first. Um, I'm not out on Patty Jenkins for the record. I think she, I think she's talented, but she does bear a lot of the blame for this because she's also a co-writer this, around, this time around. And she wasn't the first time, so Oof. that's not awesome. Uh, all right, guys. We have to wrap this up because we could probably go bit by bit if we really wanted to, but we just we just don't yeah. simply have the time. So, Jake, why don't you start to get into your very final thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984? One more point I wanted to make that can go into my final thoughts is I somebody pointed this out, and I, I do like this. There's something wholesome about it that I enjoy, especially in such a, such a dreary time. So the first one was kind of about love, and this one is kind of about truth. Messy as it is, it gets there. And I like that it's sticking to simple but yet effective messages. And especially in a time where we now have the term 
alternative facts. I like that they're pushing truth and they're pushing that, you know, like actions and falsehoods and stuff, they have consequences. And it's better to be truthful. It's better to be honest. It's better to be, you know, morally right. And I, I do like that. And I do like that they're pushing for that as cheesy or as weird or messy as it might get. I think it gets across and I do like that. So I gave it a little, just a little bit of bonus points for there. You guys can laugh at me if you want. But that is how I feel. And that is one thing that I liked about this movie. But other than that, I think the actors were good. I like their overall messages that they're going for. Simple but effective. And it didn't slog for me. I didn't feel like it was dragging. You know, we've all said a lot of things. I agree with every single messy point that we did and didn't get to cover. Because there's more. <laughs> um, yeah, the writing is really, really, really bad. But I don't think the movie is really, really bad. I see parts of it. And I really hope Wonder Woman 3 is good because I like the first one. I do think Patty Jenkins is talented. I think they have a good cast and I think they're trying. And I'm not against DC. They're just really struggling. So I'd like to see them succeed. And I hope they can end Wonder Woman on a high note. And I don't know. We'll see. It was just overall it was okay. If you like superhero movies, I guess you should see it. But definitely underwhelming and don't have high expectations. Well, as a noted DC hater, Nate, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm trying to set you up. I'm not a full DC hater, but they have yet to impress me. I think the highest rating I've given the DCEU is a wooden seat for Aquaman, maybe? And even then, that's, Damn, that's, that's pretty low in wooden seat. Yeah, it's not Oof. good. <laughs> not a good track record. Um, and this movie, it does not do anything to help its case, my opinion. Um, I liked the actors. I did not like the action. And I definitely did not like the pacing of this movie. It was long. It was very tedious to get through. It's the movie that is begging me to turn off my brain, but my brain needs stimulation. <laughs> the quarantine is hurting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this was not the answer. Because <laughs> um, especially in the age of instant reviews like this, where YouTube videos are nitpicking the crap out of this thing, it's the wrong decade for this to come out. If this came out in the 80s, I think we would have been a lot more forgiving. But this is 2020, and we have the ability to rewind and watch a scene again and say, what the hell were they thinking? <laughs> Not the best start for HBO Max. I really hope that their other releases are better than this one. And I hope that movies in general can just pick up after the lull from this past year. Right. Yeah, I, I wonder if it was a sign that they were so willing to put this on streaming that we just missed. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Could be. We were so desperate for superhero movies, oh, man. For real, honestly. I spent a lot of this review talking about how Wonder Woman 1984 is trying to be specifically the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, but have a Spider-Man-esque tone. Uh, and really, it ends up being like Spider-Man movies in that it evokes all the same problems of uh, Spider-Man 3 and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And that it is uh, overcomplicated, overindulgent, just dull and too many stretches, leaves so many subplots on the table with like lots of questions left. And it's just disappointing because I expected DC to continue on kind of like the mini winning streak that it was on. Like I didn't love Aquaman, but I liked it. Uh, Shazam is probably my favorite DC movie. I forgot about Shazam. <laughs> I enjoyed uh, Birds of Prey. I thought that was fun. So you would think Wonder Woman, the one that had been the top and uh, been towards the peak of the studio, they would follow it up with a nice, you know, same team coming back. It just, they fell into all the same classic superhero sequel problems. 
And that, I mean, that's the extent of it. I'm, it's, I'm bummed because I wanted it to be way, way better. Uh, and it's certainly not a franchise I'm rooting against. But they got to get their act together and they need to fix this if they're going to make another one. So that's it for our review of Wonder Woman 1984 and for this return episode of the Middle Seats Podcast. Before we go, Nate Lungarini, where can they find us on the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. So here at the beginning of 2021, obviously we're not back to a normal movie schedule, but we've got a lot of major things we can be talking about in uh, future weeks. So look out for reviews of uh, some of the big movies that we might have missed over the last couple of months. And I'm going to be throwing these two through kind of a crash course on what they need to see so that we're ready for what's going to be a very weird Oscar time. So look forward to all of that as we take you through this year. As per always, thank you for listening uh, and choosing us as a potential spot for all your favorite things in movies and TV. For Nate Lungarini and Jay Kensler, I'm Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. just flew this shit makes no sense <laughs> leave that in nate <laughs> i might <laughs> i just like Ugh, okay